Good evening, everyone. Broadcasting live. February 10th, 2016. Tonight's quote is kind of interesting, and it It demonstrates or it it points to a quality of the Buddhist teaching, an important quality of the Buddhist teaching. An important quality of proper meditation practice. And that is what we call Vimangsa. Vimangsa, the ability to discern and thereby adapt one's practice. So not just to, so to understand that practicing correctly doesn't work simply by learning the right way to practice, and then applying it steadily. That's not really how it works. If, if it were that simple, it's not that that's not logically consistent, it's that it's just not that simple. It's not easy to stay on the right path because the object is constantly changing and because the subject, our minds, are constantly changing. So to think that you can learn the right method and then practice correctly, just by pushing, just through sheer constant applied effort, is mistaken. It's like thinking you can go into battle and just charge the enemy and win. It's much more complicated than that. There are many more steps. There's strategy. That's what this is, is strategy. How to, how to stay on course when the battleground changes. Because the technique doesn't change, the, the right way to practice doesn't change, but the object and the subject change. So it's about seeing the relationship, the present relationship at every moment between the subject and the object, the mind and the meditation object, and being able to tell when you've gotten off track. So this talks about when you attend to a nimitta, the word that's used in the Pali is nimitta, not a thing. A nimitta means a sign. So nimitta is a word that the Buddha used, um, must have been a common sort of usage of the word, but it refers to the, the characteristic of something. He used the word nimitta because in meditation that's all you have. You don't have things. Things drop away and all you have are 
our experiences with certain characteristics. So in Samatha, Samatha meditation, you'll focus on the characteristic of blue or blueness. And blueness is an imitta. It's sort of like that. It's a little more complicated. But basically, if like a nimitta of a man or a woman, when you see a person, maybe at first you don't know whether they're a man or a woman, but then you realize, oh, that's a man. So they have a nimitta, the sign of a man. Or maybe you think they're a woman. Maybe sometimes you're not sure if they're a man or a woman in certain cases. And you can see how that waver, you waver because we're very obsessed about gender, knowing whether someone is male or female. And when we can't, when the sign doesn't present itself, it's a clear example of what is meant by nimitta. It's not the person, it's not the thing, it's the how it presents itself to the mind. And so a nimitta is something that you actually experience, it's, or it's a a description of what you experience and therefore can be used as a meditation object either for samatha or vipassana. So when the stomach rises there's the sign of rising. When the stomach falls there's the sign of falling. That kind of thing. But sometimes when you meditate it, it leads to anger or it leads to greed or it leads to delusion leads to frustration or it leads to laziness, leads to problems. So your mind, rather than becoming focused and concentrated, becomes upset. And the most, uh, the most common reaction to that is just to push harder, to force yourself. And that's exactly what, what I'm talking about is not, is being insufficient. Without, without vimangsa, without adjusting your practice, without discriminating and being able to adjust your practice, pushing harder isn't going to cut it. So the first way you do it is by changing your object. And this can take many forms. So you change this, the, the, the parameters, look at it differently, approach it differently. Now, for example, if you're angry about something or frustrated about something, well, change to focus on the frustration or focus on the thoughts surrounding the object. If you have pain and you just keep seeing pain, 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 it, there's a frustration there that you're not dealing with. Now, in Samatha meditation, you could just change the object if you're focusing on loving-kindness and you start to feel lust for your object, for example, or uh, if you're focusing on a dead body and you start to feel revulsion or, or depression or something, then you should switch to a different meditation practice. In, in Vipassana meditation, you can also do that. If you're focusing too much on the mind and you find yourself getting lost, then you can focus on the body or you can focus on feelings or you can focus on the emotions. Different people are better to focus on one than the other to some extent. Now it's not like there's, a, this isn't a, a trick, you can't look for look, look at this as being some trick. You have to be clever, but you can't run away from the problem. So in the end you do have to face the issues, but it's about facing it in a different way. Facing a different aspect of the experience. And constantly being ready to be flexible. 
That's the best way to deal with these things, is to be flexible and look at it in a new way. You approach the problem in a different way. We had one men, one monk once, I think I told this story before, uh, he was really stubborn, but it was this kind of stubbornness where he, he, he felt really, he had low self-esteem, I think. Uh, he felt like he was really, he had problems because he had practiced in Mahayana Buddhism and he had made a determination to become a Buddha or a Bodhisattva or whatever that means. Um, but then his teacher in Tibet refu refused to teach him and told him to come and learn Vipassana with us first. But he couldn't practice Vipassana because we practice to become free from suffering and the Bodhisattva is the opposite. Or to some extent, they make a vow to stay in samsara, to not be free from suffering. So he was stuck. And anyway, the the, how, the point of it, um, he, he just got to the point where he felt like he couldn't practice at all. And he wasn't blaming anyone or he wasn't really resisting. He just said, I just can't be mindful. I can't practice. He said, you know, I do sitting and I just... It, um, you're saying that he just gets in, he gets something physical or something mental. I can't remember. For some reason it just wouldn't. He couldn't do sitting meditation, and and my teacher said, "Well, then do walking meditation." But it it it, it had like gone on and on, and, and he got to this point where he just couldn't sit. Well, then do walking. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I know. I've tried walking meditation. Can't do walking doesn't work either." He said, "Well, okay. Well, if walking, then just stand there." Yeah, you know, standing doesn't work. I've tried that. I stood still for a while, but then it was like his body starts to contort or something. And he said, well, then do lying meditation. And he was like, oh, yeah. Okay, well, lying meditation, I can do that. It didn't ever really work for him. He ended up lighting himself on fire and uh, slitting his wrists and eventually disrobing, but uh, it, was a, it was an interesting, uh, interesting sort of the extreme where, yeah, there were ish other issues with him, but where nothing was working, and the, the idea of adapting your practice, so changing postures is a big one, changing your food, just lots of interesting things, like little tricks that can help when things start to go really bad. But you should never look for tricks, really. And these things can help, but but you have to be willing to admit uh, or to face. Have to be willing to face your your problem still. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't look at these things. You know, if food is a problem, you should, you have to let us know. If your posture is a problem, sometimes you have to change your posture. Don't look to these to be fixes, but they can help. Don't ignore them. Uh, change the, the change location sometimes. Some locations are just bad for meditation. No, these things sometimes you have to be careful about. If that doesn't work, Buddha has another option. He says, "Look at the uh, look at look at the bad thoughts that come up. Look at the anger. Look at the greed. Look at the delusion." And remind yourself the problem with these things. 
you know, look at the look at look at them particularly. I mean, you could translate this into vipassana meditation as actually saying to yourself, angry, angry, or wanting, wanting, or or I don't know. With delusion, it's more difficult because you can't really be mindful. But conceited, conceited, but it's more like knowing, knowing, or thinking, thinking. Um, but at least reminding yourself that the, the true nature of these things. So he says you actually say to yourself, no, you just ponder the disadvantages. So thinking about them in that way is, sometimes you giving yourself a pep talk can be useful. Because you get so caught up in meditation that it's easy to get, get to lose track of why you're here. And then you step back and say, look, you know, I didn't come here to crave food, or I didn't come here to flip out and get angry, or you know, I didn't come here because I feel you know, I can't afford to be conceited or arrogant or so on. This is not useful to me. This is a waste of my time, that kind of thing. And that can help. The sort of step back. This is more vimangsa, reminding yourself and, and adjusting your mindset. So if that doesn't work, then you should ignore them. Ignore the sort of frustration and, and turn away. So this is where if something stays and it just doesn't go away, you can just ignore, the, ignore it. Try to become equanimous about it. So if you do feel anger, then just ignore the anger. If you feel greed, then just ignore the greed. If you do feel delusion. You can actually try to ignore it, and it might go away. It's not the best way, but he's going down the list. So at this point, you know, maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll subdue, be subdued. You stop giving power to it, really. It is, an, it is a valid. I mean, this is the Buddha talking, as far as we know. When you stop giving power to your emotions, it is an important aspect. Because anxiety leads to anxiety, fear leads to fear. Anger, you get angry about the fact. So you're sitting there, you, you want something, and then you're like, yeah, yeah, I want that. Or you feel ang frustrated, and then that makes you frustrated. Like, why am I frustrated? I'm wasting my time. I'm useless at this, or whatever. So sometimes you have to stop giving power to it. Stop, stop entertaining those thoughts. There's a fourth one. I'm just going to look at the Pali because Vitaka, Tesampi Vitaka Nang, Vitaka Sankara Santa Nang, Manasikaropajan, Papaka Akusala Vitaka. I don't know. Just a second. Yeah, it's not. It's a, here's a better translation. You give attention to stilling the thought formation of those thoughts. Stopping the cause of the thought. Mm. So this is accomplished by inquiring when an unwholesome thought has arisen. What is the cause? What is the cause of its cause? Hmm. So stopping it from arising, giving the um, focus on the cause of the thoughts, focus on the root, and still that. 
I mean, in some cases, it's just an experience. You can focus on the experience, but I think in general, just not not totally convinced that it's just a cause. But that's what the commentary said. It's more about stilling, calming, like calming a small child. Hush, hush. Focus on calming the mind. And if you focus on calming the mind, if you focus on... I mean, they're all, they're both good. If you can find the cause and you can do away with it, then absolutely the actual defilement won't come up. But in any way, focusing on calming the mind. So sometimes lying down is good in that way. Sometimes getting up and walking. I mean, sometimes moving your limbs if there's, if there's great pain. Sometimes you have to stretch, that kind of thing. Sometimes there are thoughts that are a cause of, of anger or greed or delusion and you have to address those thoughts and calm down those thoughts. Anyway, the idea that stilling is somehow... Uh, stilling the mind. When the mind is calm, then those thoughts will subside. But if that doesn't even work, and here's the last one that is often remembered, then with his teeth, teeth clenched and his tongue pressed against the roof of his mouth, he should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. Crush the thoughts. was a last resort. But this Buddha actually does say this. It's um, there are certain states that are so pernicious that no matter what you do, they don't go away, and then you just have to say to them, "Look, I've had enough of you. Go away." Not recommended as a first or as a as a fallback option or as a or something to rely upon, but from time to time, you can temporarily fix things by telling yourself no. This works when uh, piti arises, when you find yourself shaking back, rocking back and forth. Because it's hard to stop it. It feels good. This happens in meditators. For those of you who don't know, haven't ever done a meditation course, this often happens where you start to rock back and forth. And it feels good because the pain in your back stops and you've got a sort of a pleasant feeling. It's kind of nice and it can start to go faster. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't stop until you tell it to stop. It was a stop. You have to actually force it to stop. Sometimes forcing is, is a stopgap measure. So the whole point of this, the sutta in, in general, is um, being more clever than the actual, than the problem, getting smarter than it, outsmarting the problem, I guess, or adjusting your mind adjusting the way you look at things. It's very important in, in meditation practice because it's easy to get into a rut otherwise. It's not about just forcing your way through it. You need to be clever. And so these are some of the ways the Buddha taught to be clever. So, that's the Dhamma for tonight.
Groupies, that's the word. Panel, panelists. So now we have a panel, Buddhist panel. Oh, and you know what? I can't hear you because. Anyway, you guys can go. Thank you. Have a good night. Not you, Ben. The local, the local people can go meditate. Uh, and I have to figure out the sound isn't very good. I think we have sound now. Are you all just. Uh, none of you have questions, I don't think. Do any of you have questions? It's the usual suspects. You're just here to, to say hi. Can I hear you? Can you hear me? <clears throat> I can hear you fine. Okay, and I can hear you, which is good. I, I, I tuned in real late. I just got on. I apologize. <clears throat> Sorry, apologize for what? I, I tuned in late. I just oh. got... Keyed in. Okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> well, if there are no questions. Oh, I have a question. Sorry. Why are we all so different? Like some people are, you know, like some people have lots of cars, some people have big houses, mm. some people have nothing. Why are we all so different other than karma? Why do you expect us all to be the same? Would that make sense? Like, why are some people rich and some people poor? Some people sick, some people healthy. Would it why? make sense if we were? Would it make more sense if we were all rich or all poor? At least there would be equality of the masses. Yeah, but do you think that's more reasonable, more likely? I'm just talking universally. Is that more likely to you? It would be nicer. Yeah, but. That doesn't make it, make it more likely. Then nobody would be in want. You wouldn't want, uh, if everyone had the same of everything, you know, you wouldn't want what the other person has. Sure, so it's a good goal to work at, but it, if that were to ever happen, I'd be like, wow, how did we get here? That would be more surprising for me than the way things are now, so I'm not quite clear on the question. Why are we all so different? It's the way of the world. It just seems natural to me. Some people go in good directions. Some people go in bad directions. It's all sort of karmic in the end. Sometimes we go in good directions. Sometimes we go in bad directions. Some people are always happy. Some people are always sad. Some people have ten cars. Some people have... One card. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some people are more happy, but always happy? Not sure about that one. Maybe a Buddha or an enlightened being, you could say. But even then, uh, some people are never sad. It's enlightened people. I 
I just don't get why we're all so different. I guess. Hmm. Why would we all be the same? Why would we? Be all nice be if we were more socialist. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's it's a good goal to work towards. Absolutely. You know that you're, that you're thinking about it. I applaud that. Working towards equality. Working towards. Know, uh, working towards helping people who are suffering. It's, it's praiseworthy. <clears throat> but very difficult goal to attain. And even more difficult to sustain. So if your goal is that, not really convinced because things are always changing. I didn't say that was my goal. I want more money. I want to be, you know, rich. But um, it's yeah. But the not funny thing happen, is, you're, you're it's rich. My wish. I want to be rich. But it would be nicer if everyone was like, you know, the same. But the funny then, thing is, what we call rich in modern in Western money. society, in modern society, no, what we call rich is mostly on the backs of poor people. It wouldn't work for all people. You know, we have. Computers, mobile phones, because or it, there's a requirement for people to be in slave labor, you know, in lives that are really poor conditions, just so we can have the things that we want. That's the reality of it. So um, the system itself is problematic. So I think part of the answer to your question: you want to be rich? Well, there's your answer. Everybody wanting to be rich is why some people have to be poor. Could, could I contribute? Sorry? Could I contribute? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, we're, in a, we're in a natural world, nature, um, you know, and all over the earth, uh, we're just one part of the biosphere, so to speak, with animals and plants and earthquakes and tsunamis and natural disasters and some places in the world you know turning to desertification and some other places in the world maybe just remain lush and and uh, and and lots of lots of good for all the all the critters and the, and the plants and such as that and it's, it's 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 almost like how could we expect people's human beings circumstances to be far separated or different from from all of the all of nature that we're amongst hmm. well, I know there's there's we don't appreciate that enough the fact that all of this that we think of as human as not natural is just a part of nature. Yeah. I've talked about this before and I got in real trouble. It was a long, long controversy when I said the body is unnatural. I think a lot of dislikes of that, downvotes of that uh, video. Um, because on an ultimate level, the body is natural. Or sorry, an ultimate level, everything is natural. But if that were the case, then we wouldn't have this word unnatural. So what does it mean to say that something is unnatural? In order for that word to have meaning, 
we have to place a definition on the word. So what, what is the category of things that we would consider unnatural? It's either nothing or it's something. If it's nothing, well then everything is natural, which is really true. But in a conventional sense, the word unnatural, I mean, I, I defined it as something that is human-made, something that is made by this one specific group, or, or we could expand it, that which is made by sentient being. So any sentient being creates something that's unnatural. You know, artificial is another word for it. And the body is artificial. The body is an artifice. It's just making a point that we don't appreciate enough. We think that nature created the body, but actually we create the body. And this is something that we have formed and fashioned, according to Buddhist thought. Of course, many people don't believe that. It, it, is, is that evol evolution that you're... No, not, not really. Um, I mean, evolution is kind of a part because it's, it's, it's um, trial and error. But the mind plays a part in it. And the mind, we would say, is, plays a primary part in it. Uh, in terms of actually actual trial and error, where the mind adjusts. And you know, sort of helps along what we what scientists see as being a completely physical process, that the mind is actually actively involved in deciding where evolution goes. Well, and uh, let me see. Uh, it, notionally, I guess theoretically, um, if if uh, civilization proceeds, continues to evolve. Um, then supposedly uh, uh, yeah, brain features, crani you know, our, our skull features, brain would, would tend to change over time. Maybe our limbs would start to atrophy. Uh, mm. Is that, could that be part of what you're talking about? Yeah, but it comes from our mind. It comes from the, the sure. way we direct our mind. Not, yeah. not just natural selection. Mm. Who's the new guy? Mm. Hi, I'm Fernando. Hi, Fernando. Nice to meet you, Ante. Nice to meet you. Where are you? Uh, well, I live in Colombia, Missouri, but I'm from Mexico. Where are the rest of you from? Dar, where are you from? Toronto. Oh, you live in Toronto? You're not here at Mac with me, are you? Pardon? You live in Toronto? Mm-hmm. Larry, you're an American, right? Yes, I'm uh, Mississippi, Southeast USA. Hmm. And Simon, I think he's from Europe, right? Yep, I'm from Denmark. Denmark. It's a small country, right? <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of river. Very, very small. About the size of Mississippi. Oh, <laughs> oh I actually think it's smaller. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine a state or even a big city <laughs> being like the size of Denmark, but I oh, could wow. be wrong. Wow. It's that small, huh? Yep. It's like, uh, I could just look it up. We were just having a fun time with comparing it the other day. Mm. It was like, I think it was Texas has 
no, I can't remember what we did there, but it was like a huge, huge state in the U.S., like with three million people, and it was like a hundred times bigger than this country, almost like at least mm -hmm. ten times bigger. I'm exaggerating a bit. Okay, so it says here it's like 42.9 square kilometers. I mean, mm. for 2,000. Uh -huh. Sorry. Mm. All right, well, I have to go study because I have a Latin midterm in two days. Have a great study, Spante, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.